And week two is here in the NFL. Kevin Bowen, Chris Presley, rocking his Garen Catholic baseball shirt. That's right. Uh, great news in the Big Ten today. Gotta yeah. love that. Earlier this morning, we're taping this Wednesday afternoon, Big Ten's going to play football. Sounds like they're going to try and get into the college football playoff picture. I was yeah. pretty curious about that. Uh, and that means Big Ten Championship here still? Have I would, seen that? I would think so. I, I didn't really dive into all the stipulations. I did have some friends uh, text me some of the, some of the rules, like if a player tests positive, they have to isolate for 21 days. Yeah. Which is a, I mean, is they're huge. very strict. Yes. like five percent of their roster, mm-hmm. you know, has COVID, whatever contact tracing. I think the season's done, or at least they're they can't play that week, something like that. So I thought I read mid December, Big Ten title game here, and then okay. it's kind of intra or uh, cross division, I should say, matchup. So you know, number two in the, it's not leaders and legends. I hope it's not still. No, it's not. Terrific <laughs> name. Um, I think it's just two against East, two against West, things like that. So. I love it. Uh, things appear to still be going pretty well, NFL-wise, which I was curious how this week would unfold, mm-hmm. you know, with obviously half the league traveling last week. Um, today's pod, you know, for those of us that remember last year's kind of second week, second pod of the week, it was more of a preview of the upcoming game. We still have probably about eight to ten Twitter questions that I want to get to as well that we missed on Monday uh, and then obviously talking about the Marlon Mack injury situation. I just left Colts practice. As of right now, three guys on the did not participate list, Jack Doyle, Malik Hooker, Zach Paschal. Okay. Uh, three notable names for you know various different reasons. Paschal got banged up quite a bit he did, in yeah. that game. That doesn't you know, he surprise me. limping off special teams-wise. I think he got blown up on a block, too. and He actually was doing some light jogging out there. He was the only one out there. Uh, of that trio. Hooker and Doyle will have to monitor as the week goes on. There's enough on the 53-man roster safety-wise to probably uh, make up for Hooker. And then Doyle, you'd have to, I think, go on the practice. You'd definitely have to go on the practice squad if for some reason. Um, you know, if, if he shows up with a neck injury, that mm-hmm. would worry me a little bit because that's something he dealt with in camp. So uh, we'll monitor that. And, uh, yeah, Colts-Vikings, baby. Week two, here we go. Let's go. Home opener. We got, you know, Xavier Rhodes' former team coming in here. He's got to prove some stuff. I think he's going to be chirping a little. Oh, yeah? I think he's going to chirp a little bit Sunday afternoon. I know he's kind of playing it. You know, he kind of laughs it off a little bit, playing his former team. I think, uh, yeah, I, I could see him grabbing Matt Eberflus and saying, let me follow Adam Thielen around and, you know, Matt being like, let's just try and get 80% completion percentage against us and move on. You know, I hope he does because I did watch the Zoom meeting that the Colts put out and he was like, you know, it's all love. Yeah, you know, now I can tackle them, but they're still my boys over there. And that kind of had the NBA feel to me where it's like, yeah, we're it's, no, I want you to go hit them, okay? Yeah. Come Football's on. different. Yeah, Xavier's saying that, but that team just cut you with two years left in mm-hmm. your contract. You can have warm fuzzies. You can give them whatever you want to give them pregame. But when, uh, yeah, that ball's kicked. Xavier Rhodes is a competitor, and I fully expect him to uh, – yeah, be a little bit uh, chirpy with his former team. What did you see from the running backs today at practice? Obviously, Mac going down. There's going to be, you know, the the, the load's going to go on Taylor and Hines. And right, you know, this is our um, this is you know the biggest storyline of the week. And first, um, let me just say how bad I feel for Marlon Mack. Oh, terrible. You know, I find it interesting, Chris, and and it's very candid by Frank Reich how when he's talked about Marlon Mack this week, he has indirectly addressed the contract situation. 
of saying how bad he feels for Marlon's family is what he throws in there. And you don't often hear maybe a coach say that, but it couldn't be more apparent in this situation because you get one major payday as a running back. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, honestly. Maybe yeah. it maybe it's just a rookie contract and you never sniff that second contract. But Marlon Mack was, is, was, might be still looking at a, a second contract. Obviously, he'll get some contract, but you know nothing of the security that he was looking at. Um, and, and just an Achilles injury, while there's been all these advances in ACL and uh, you know, other injuries, you feel like guys come back from really quick. Achilles is always something I think we still worry about. Of like yep. This is a full year sort of ordeal. And obviously, a running back... Um, you know, it goes without saying how they are treated around the NFL and especially contractually. So, again, just feel absolutely awful for Marlon Mack. And I also look at this offense and think, man, Phillip Rivers, there's a lot, again, that I thought was positive about Sunday. There were some definite negatives. I got an article posted up on the site tomorrow morning that will touch on that. But, you know, I, I think I stressed this during the offseason, Chris. For Phillip Rivers to be at his best or be at the level the Colts think he can be at, you need health and elite play from your line, and you need your skill group to be as diverse as possible. Yeah, you know that that Chargers skill group that might be the you know best wideout duo in the league, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, and Rivers still struggled, you know, for a, a large chunk of last season. So again, when you're losing a Burton, now you're losing a Mac, and it's at the position that suffers the injuries the most in the NFL, that's where I worry about the skill group. Um, And I guess I do want to hit on each individual running back, so let me make one more point before we get into that. I do think, in a weird way, I don't expect the production to decrease too much from the running back position. It'll look differently, like not be the split that we obviously were projecting at the Mm -hmm. start of the year. But I still think from a pure production standpoint, as long as health cooperates, the yards at the end of the year, I don't think will be that different from a run game standpoint. Because the way they mix in the, the pass? Not necessarily that, because I just think Jonathan Taylor is a good football player. Yeah. And, and and he's ready. He should be ready. When you draft a running back of 41, when he comes from the best collegiate rushing offense you can come from, the most pro-ready college rushing offense you can come from, it's not like Jonathan Taylor needed to watch a whole lot. He was going to watch for a bit because you had Marlon Mack, mm-hmm. not because he needed to develop in some key areas. I like six catches on six targets out of Jonathan Taylor week one. That was a question that we had. How could he handle the, the, that passing role? He's still going to have to show up in pass protection, and I think that that is a question. The consistency might not be there as much, but you know we said it on Beers with Bowen. Our, one of our you know questions over unders that we did – late in the show was, who's going to have a higher yards per carry this season? Mm -hmm. Mack or Taylor? And and I said Taylor, and I felt confident with that answer. So, um, again, it won't look the same, but I do think if you can stay healthy, which is still a huge if for that position, and I think it's a big reason why they worked out Lamar Miller earlier this week. Mm -hmm. It wasn't necessarily to come in and be your fourth running back. It was, shit, if we have one more injury here, now you're in scramble mode big time. So, um yeah, that's how I kind of look at things, but certainly Taylor's going to be the starter. Okay, well, you want to run through the, the, yeah, the yeah, backs. Yeah. Uh, is that all you had on Taylor? You want to speak to him a no, little no, bit No, no, let's, no. Let, let, let's speak a little bit more to it. Again, Chris, um, three things 
physically, you don't worry about him. Mm-mm. I mean, the guy is, um, you know, <laughs> two twenty whatever, and and running four three, and and carried a heavy workload at Wisconsin. I think that's key as well. This was not a, you know, I'm part of an Alabama rotation of running backs. This was, dude, you got to tote it twenty mm-hmm. twenty five times every game. So if if Jonathan Taylor touches it. Running back-wise, carry-wise, 15 or 20 times on Sunday, that won't shock me at all. Um, You know, when you looked at the opener, and I thought Nick Sirianni hit on this yesterday, we didn't see it really in the run game. You know, he had, what, 2.2 per carry, I want to say it was. But, man, when he got in the open field in that pass game, I mean, he ran away from some dudes that I'm kind of like – this is the NFL. Yeah, <laughs> guys don't move, guys don't weigh as much as you do and run away from people exactly. like like you are doing here. I'm like, gosh, is like you know the juice box on Jacksonville a little bit, you know, toned down from an energy standpoint. But uh, that, I mean, I, I definitely noticed that burst, and that's where I get back to the home run ability of um, that's where he can really impact things. But if I'm Frank Reich, yeah, I don't attack this with kid gloves. I say, Jonathan Taylor, here you go. You're our starting running back, and you're more the starting running back like Marlon Mack was the starter last year. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mack was the bell cow, the heavy lifter in the run game. That's how I treat Jonathan Taylor right now, and adjust as needed. You know, if you don't feel like he can handle that much after watching him in a game or two or there's some pass protection issues, okay, you know, I'll, I'll react differently. But, again, I, I'd be giving him at least 15 carries on Sunday. Yeah. So – so when they come out in their first offensive set, he is the running back that's coming on the field. I think he's a starter. Um, I do. You know, we saw Hines a lot earlier in the game on Sunday, and mm-hmm. I guess I'll get into Hines here. I think that had a lot to do with the no-huddle approach of he's your best kind of third-down-ish passing game. You, you trust him a lot. And I'm I, you know, I'm good with the, with the no-huddle that the Colts used on Sunday. I, I know I wanted to see them pound it a little bit more, and I stand by that. that was what, what Reich was thinking of. Up-tempo, wear them down, and the no huddle is going to be in the game plan every week. And it's just, Reich said today, kind of a feel thing, how often he wants to use it. I think I speak for a lot of people and say, use it more. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd love to like go back and analyze all the no huddle drives the Colts have had since Andrew Luck in 2012 and see their success rate. It has to be through the roof. Yeah. Um. So, you know, Hines, I was surprised certainly that I think he had, I don't think he had the most carries, I think he had the most rushing yards um, of all the running backs on Sunday. He did, 28. And then, God, that's such a low number. I know. All of them were low. I I do think the run blocking was an issue. Pass blocking, I mean, the Colts are gushing about it. They said one of the best games, which, not to get off on a tangent, but I'm like, you know, the Colts are saying that's the best pass protection game they've ever seen. One of the best that they've seen. And I'm like, which I, you know, I, Glowinski a few times, not great. And Rivers wasn't sacked in 46 dropbacks, right, which, but. you know, is something there. My worry more is this. If that's the best, one of the best pass protection games you've ever seen and Rivers still throws a couple picks, what happens when there is some more pressure? Yep. You know, like th- that's where my worry comes in. But, Getting back to Hines, I mean, obviously, what do you, how many catches did he have? Do you have it up there? Hines had eight receptions for 45 yards. I mean, that's a huge, huge number there. Catch, I mean, 15 touches. I wouldn't have expected that out of Hines week one. Um, 
and he outsnapped Taylor by quite a bit as well, which, again, I think has to do more so with the no huddle. You passed it as much as you did. Um, I Hines showed me a little bit more as a runner, running back, on Sunday than I've seen before. That's intriguing. Yes. But I still go back to this, Chris. When the Colts have – when Mack has been hurt before, Hines' role has never significantly jumped. Because, you know, he's a running back, but he's not really a running back. He's kind of this, mm-hmm. this whatever. He's kind of gadgety guy. So I'm not sitting here being like, he's definitely going to have a huge expanded role. But then I watched Sunday, and I'm like, well, he did a couple things that I like. So I still would rather have him, you know, punt. Nah, I think you leave him a punt returner. But, you know, I'd rather kind of still have him in the third down, primary receiver, can run it when you need to in the no huddle, stuff like that, and give Taylor and Wilkins more of the early down roles. With Hines, you mentioned it yesterday on Twitter. How awesome is it to see him mic'd up? I thought Dude, it was that was great. So refreshing to see even a, a pro athlete in what his third season now standing back there. Relax, stay focused, relax. <laughs> like even those guys get so amped up. It's like okay, focus in. We'll be all right. I just I got I watched that. I'm like Naeem Hines outside of running four three is a normal human being. Yeah, I mean like it just down to earth is I think is what I tweeted and just more of the common you know human you feel like with just some of his raw reactions and uh, just a guy that you feel like is enjoying what he's doing but then you know isn't naive to the pressure and the nerves that face him yeah on a weekly basis so um yeah I, I think that's what we'll see from Hines and um Wilkins you know I I think I think a little bit more of an expanded role obviously only played one snap offensively on Sunday so you know that speaks for itself but I feel like if you need a guy to handle multiple series, like you know Taylor, you know whatever, twists an ankle and has got to get checked out for a series or two. Wilkins on first or second down, I'm perfectly okay mm-hmm. with. Uh, yeah, I think we've always been kind of a Hines Wilkins, you know, fans on this podcast, and certainly you've seen yeah, it, oh Chris. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, fans of the Colts love Wilkins, and and the number, it's astonishing. I mean, it's five point eight, I think it is per carry. In his career, and this is a guy that's not just carried it five times. He's carried over 100 times in his career. Mm-hmm. So um, this is why you keep him on your 53. This is to have that insurance policy of a, as we sit here right now, the Colts don't have a fourth running back on their 53. We saw them bump Reese Fountain up and put Correct. Marlon Mack on IR. So, and I'm that's not surprising to me because you don't use a fourth running back. It, it just doesn't happen on game days. Now, one more injury... And it's DEFCON mm-hmm. at the running back position. But for now, this three-man group, I think, can work. You know, I had some people saying, well, what, you know, Jonathan Williams is on the Lions practice squad. Would you go and try and nab him? Or, um, you know, obviously we saw them work out C.J. Procise, a Notre Dame guy, former third-round pick of the Seahawks. Uh, you know, Lamar Miller, Devontae Freeman, those names as well. I don't think you can bring any of those guys in here and say, here's a game-day role. I think it's all more of just we've got to do our homework because if one more injury happens there, now we're really, really scrambling. Mm-hmm. So um, that's how I kind of look at running back for the Colts right now. Again, Taylor is your starter. <laughs> I know I was saying draft Mac, which I, I stand by, but uh, I hope you draft a Taylor because he is now the guy with the old torn Achilles for uh, Marlon Mack. Yeah, and back to your point, just, just one more thing on Mack. In regards to the payday, 
when you look at his stats, considering he played a quarter and a half of football and had 56 total yards, and you think that that's how they were likely going to use him for the year, he would have been able to go back to the Colts or any other team with quite a resume from this year and say, hey, look what I can do when you put the ball in my hands. Yeah, and you know, Frank Reich, when he talks about Marlon, and I think there's a lot of realness in these comments, he keeps on saying just how explosive and great he looked throughout camp and even the first quarter. I mean, I, I noticed Mac like, I mean, what do he have? He had to have over six per carry. In, the, in that first quarter. Six and a half yards per carry. Yeah, I mean, and it caught the ball out of the backfield a couple times, mm-hmm. so it's it just, um, it absolutely sucks. It, it absolutely sucks that uh, he's having to go through this now, and I don't know if we had a Twitter question on this. I know we did on Monday, and I had a buddy of mine text me after the show on Monday, like, oh, I haven't listened yet, but just curious to your thoughts. Do you think this improves Max' chances of coming back? So much can change in the next four months, Chris, five months, whatever it is, till March. But I do. I do. Mm -hmm. I think this improves Marlon Mack's chances to come back here. It's weird. It's awkward. It's not ideal. But um, I could see Marlon Mack still playing for the Colts. I don't think you go with that saying, he's my number two back. You know, you can't be naive like that. You know know me. I still like drafting running back every year, so... But still, I could see Matt come, coming back because, he, again, he's still incredibly young. He is. Incredibly young. Okay, Kevin, you mentioned we got a couple Twitter questions left over. We want to jump into those. Cool, 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 cool. All right, first one comes from Old Daner. Question is, given the defensive woes and sometimes getting too cute like the play with Brissett this last weekend or lining up luck out wide, if we revisited the 2018 offseason, is it safe to say that we would have rather picked Vrabel He's been a he's been a right guy, but he thinks that he's might just be a play caller in this league. What are your thoughts? Wow, we're not uh, we're not holding back to start old Twitter questions here. Nope. Um, who is that from? Old Daner. Old Daner. Uh, you know, first let's go back to 2018 offseason. You know, Vrabel, Matt Nagy, Josh McDaniels. I think that was kind of the trio at the time. Matt Rule, you know, what was interviewed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I would group him more into that. And basically why I'm saying that is I clearly in Chris Ballard's eyes, Mike Vrabel was a better candidate than Frank Reich. There was a reason why he was looking into Mike Vrabel at the time and admittedly didn't think about Frank Reich really. And then you had the next list of candidates, and it was I think Leslie Frazier, Buffalo's defensive coordinator, Dan Campbell. Uh, who I believe is still in New Orleans. If he's not, maybe maybe he's moved on. But um, and then obviously Frank. So, uh, I think it's two different tiers, and I think Chris, you know, would admit that. I don't know if you'd ever like really ask him that. But now you look at Vrabel and Reich's resume a couple of years into this. I mean, win wise, they got to be nearly the same. What Tennessee's gone nine and seven back. They've gone nine and seven every year for the last four. So that's what eighteen and fourteen, and Reich's gone. A, 10 and 6 and 7 and 9. So, I mean, virtually the same on regular season wins. Obviously, you've had Tennessee make the longer playoff run. Where I think I agree with Old Daner is this. Have been a right guy, but he might just be a play caller in this league. You know, I, I feel like at times I'm curious if Frank fully grasps all the control he has as head coach of this football team. You are the head coach of an NFL football team. You know what that means? 
If you wanted to, you control every decision that happens on Sunday afternoons and Monday through Saturday. And outside of personnel, you pretty much run the damn show. Yep. That's a lot of authority. And it's something that I remember, listeners of this podcast, if they recall, which if they remember this far back, they're, yeah, they should worry about their lives. But thank you for listening for the last two years. When this head coaching search began, I think the offensive mind was always something people wanted. But I've talked about how I like how Mike Tomlin Mm -hmm. handles things. Belichick, Pete Carroll. And I know it's easy to slot like three coaches that have had great success. But they aren't calling plays. They're managing the operation on game day. And game days in the NFL are bleeping chaotic. Mm -hmm. And time management is nuts. And I think Frank's actually done a really good job with that. But, you know, when to go for it, when not to go for it, field position – you know, go for two, not you know, all those things. That's that I would, if I were head coach, that's the only thing I'd want on my plate game day. I wouldn't want that responsibility of play calling on, you know, yep. offensively and defensively. Certainly, I'm on the headset and I hear everything. And if I can overrule, I'll overrule. But I would trust, you know, my OC, my DC to hopefully handle those responsibilities. So um, that's where I think it's difficult in how Reich runs the operation. I think he's a brilliant offensive mind, and I think there's a lot of aspects of him as a head coach that I like. But, yeah, man, I just I, – I, I get to a point where, you know, I'd be walking into Matt Eberflus' office and, and demanding some things, and you have that authority. You, to, yeah. you know, this is not, oh, just because Chris Ballard hired him, I can handle – I you know, I'm not allowed to handle it in the way that I want to. No, no. You're the coach. This might be your one shot. Yeah. You know, that that's just life. So uh, that's where I would go with Daner a little bit there. Um and 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 kind of a siding with that. And I mean, you guys have heard me say this. I think Mike Frabel's a damn good football coach. Oh yeah. And so I yeah. Um sure. That maybe they would be better off, but you look at the resume, you know, outside of Tennessee getting on this road. And some people would say, screw that. Vrabel's all about running the football. <laughs> that 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 ain't going to last, you know? I, I think from a culture standpoint, though, I like what Vrabel mm-hmm. has, has built there. And Vrabel doesn't, or at least he didn't call the plays defensively. I think Dean Pease was handling that the past couple of years. This question comes from Craig. It would seem to him that the best strategy for the offense would be ground and pound and ball control, like we did against Kansas City last year. This also eliminates mistakes from Rivers, yet the offense did look great in a no-huddle, up-tempo approach against Jacksonville. What do you think they should do what do you think they should do moving forward? Craig, it's a great question. Great, great question. Um, I want the no huddle in the game plan every week. I do. I, I don't know how much I would use it, but when this offense gets in a rut, that's what I'm going with. And, yes, there's an element to saying, okay, keep sticking with the run, keep sticking with the run. And I agree there, and I know that's my biggest strength but I just also love what a change of pace no huddle can do throughout mm-hmm. a game. So I'd sprinkle it in. You know, I don't think – and even those Manning teams, I don't know. How many times do they really go no huddle for 60 minutes? You know, it's just – it's a hard recipe to use the entire game. Uh, as far as this week, I mean, the Vikings D-line has been a huge issue, or at least was in week one. So um, I, I would be, again, continuing to pound it and continuing to look at my O-line and say, all right, boys, that was a wake-up call. Mm-hmm. We, we weren't as effective. I, you know, Frank has admitted we should have ran it more, blah, blah, blah. But I think from a, you know, blocking standpoint, I thought that O line could have done better. You know, your running backs were under four yards per carry. So 
Uh, the key thing, and this will be in that Rivers piece I'm posting tomorrow, you just got to play from ahead. And I know that's like so easy and so basic to say, but when Rivers gets into obvious passing situations, I think he was 2 of 7, I want to say, on balls over 15 yards, maybe 10 yards, something like that. Think about the two picks. One was third and ten, and the other was when you're down four with five minutes going in the game. It doesn't get more obvious than that passing situation-wise. He can't be in those situations. And again, I know it's so much easier said than done, but if you finish off a couple of those drives, and Rivers admitted it, if I hit Doyle and I'm up 14 nothing, he doesn't feel like he's got to play hero mm-hmm. ball a little bit more. So, uh, yeah, really good question, Craig, but uh, I'm, uh, I'm going to be week to week. You, you, that's how you roll in the NFL. Daniel wants to know what the elevation of Fountain to the roster as a wide receiver will that move Hines out of the special teams role now that he has increased now that he it does have an increased role on the offense with Mac being out. You know, I first looked at this question and I was like, no, I don't think so. But now that I've looked at it a couple times, I think it's a really fair question. Um, now, do you trust Isaiah Rogers to handle punt returns? You know, it goes back to our question I think we got from Tyler a few weeks ago about, you know, is there more of a just a ball security guy to handle punt returns? You know, it's kind of it's kind of this kicker thing. I, I'd rather be safe. I, if you, okay, if you break one punt return, whoop de do. Mm-hmm. But just don't fumble the freaking ball. Right. You know, it was a muff in the Steelers game, I think, to start the game. Yeah. I believe the other night. You know, it's just like. <laughs> and then that tampo, like the pooch kick. Those things. C- control the ball. You think about the pooch it. kick last year when the Steelers got that. A safety? Colts got a safety, and then I think Rodgers misplayed it, and all hell, you know, you know, it just it makes me yell ball when I'm on the couch and <laughs> ball, you know. I mean, it's just and like, you can't do that this year. I can't I just ball. <laughs> no, that's that's what I got to go with. Um, I could see Rodgers doing both returns, but I don't, you know, Fountain getting called up. I'm kind of like this, Chris. Okay, you have seven wideouts on your on your 53 man roster. The Pascal I watched today, I don't see him missing much time. You know, maybe miss a game, but like he looked decent to me. You know, I guess. Do they trust Fountain more as your fourth wideout than Patman? I because that would be the breakdown. Because yeah. you know, you, you have Hilton, mm-hmm. Campbell, who outsnapped Hilton, Pittman. So there's your three that'll play a ton. Pascal played like forty some snaps, forty of seventy, you know, a decent amount, something around there. So now who becomes that Pascal role? I guess. Right. Your other wideouts were Patman. And then Doolin. Mm-hmm. Doolin is only special teams. Uh, you know, Patman and Fountain, you know, both of them, it's kind of like they never really played in the NFL. So, I don't know. Maybe Reese – I wouldn't give Reese 40 snaps. But, uh, you know, if you're banged up a tight end and you need three wideouts, uh, you know, do you play Pittman 90% of the snaps? I, yeah. Um, one thing about the Fountain-Hines thing, though, is Fountain's not a slot guy. You know, Hines is more the slot mm-hmm. gadgety guy. Fountain's definitely not that. This question comes from Alec. Could you see the Colts trading for a guy like Patrick Peterson? And if so, what would it take? You could see Peterson playing the role like Mike Mitchell did a few years ago and helping out a position group, the outside corner, that looks to be in need. Well, shit, I don't know about you, but the Cardinals didn't look in tank mode to me. No. <laughs> I mean, that was, a, that was a damn good football win they had on Sunday. Um, yeah, Alec, you know trades metalish late round pick i don't know fourth fifth something I, who knows Leonard Fournette didn't go for anything you know it's just it, it's the old debate that you have with player trades but i do worry about outside corners i do you know i 
the, the, going back watching the game a couple times now, you know, Rhodes, you know, I said he looked like Antonio Cromartie on Monday. That might have been a bit harsh, but he didn't make me feel very comfortable about things. So uh, there were some nice plays he had. I mean, he was in coverage for the P.I., but still the P.I. was a 30-yard play and mm-hmm. a huge play in the game. So, yeah, I, you know, outside corners, what are you going to do? There are some out on the market. Um, again, you're probably an injury or a straight benching away from being enticing to those outside corners wanting to come here and get more of a starting role. Well, props to you, Kev, because I know it's your job, but to rewatch that defense from Sunday would, <laughs> would not be fun. <laughs> oh, man, and to hear Spiro and Archuleta again. Yeah. Yeah. We get lucky having them so often. Yeah. Okay, this one comes from Matt. He's wondering if you could summarize your thoughts on Dan Dockich's Twitter rant. GM, players, local media, and fans. He does have some valid points, but mostly crazy talk, he thinks. Well, Matt, uh, you and about 70 other people that have my phone number have been asking me about that over the last 24 hours. Dan, uh, per usual, extremely entertaining, very vocal about uh, Ryan Grigson and Chris Ballard. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm not going to lie, I didn't read every single tweet, but I think I had the gist of it of, um, you know, pretty much Grigson's win-loss record, you know, over, it just blows really Ballard's out of the water. And then, uh, you know, doesn't believe that the local media is that, is critical enough of Ballard and Reich. Um, Two things with this, Chris. I disagree with Dan on one point and I agree with him on the other. I guess I'll start with my agreement, and it's why I wrote the article just before camp started and tweeted it out again on Saturday afternoon. This season is about proving it without Andrew Luck. And so many people are quick to look at the Gregson era and say, well, he just won because he had luck. And I've mentioned the record on on this podcast before. Mm -hmm. Gregson teams were 6-4. and Six and four without Andrew Luck, and, and the Ballard teams right now are eleven and I guess another loss, eleven and twenty-two. I mean, ten games is it the biggest sample size in the world. Maybe not. Is it a notable sample size? Yes. I mean, six and four, and think about it. All the luck stuff was in season. Theoretically, wouldn't that be harder to get a team ready when you're making a switch in season? You know, middle of the weeks, things like that. So, um. That's where Dan is certainly spot on about everyone is very quick to say, well, it's luck. It's all about luck. Well, no, it's not. You know, when Chris Boward said on day one, it's not about one player. It's been about one player in his tenure. This team has been 10 and six with luck, one in a playoff game and 10 games under 500 through 30 some games without him. And that's with them saying they've got a top 20 quarterback in Jacoby yep. starting the vast majority of that game. And obviously Rivers would definitely fall into that boat. So uh, that's where, again, I, I will, you will, I've written it, you know, and I could not agree more with, um, with Dan on that. Where I will strongly disagree with him is though, year four of Chris Ballard, year four of Ryan Grigson, the foundation is in a much better place now than it was year four of Grigson. Think about that. So year four of Grigson would have been 2015 season. is getting mm-hmm. ready to start. Missed on the 2013 draft. Missed on the 2014, like clear misses in both of those drafts. Um, missed on the 2013 free agent class. 
tried to come back in 2015 with Luck still in the rookie contract and make up for it, and 2015 ended up being a miss. 2015 ended up being a missed draft. And you look at Ballard, and the draft's much better foundationally. I mean, obviously you drafted two All-Pros and, and where you're at with some other pieces you feel really good about. Um, the roster's a lot younger. You know, it's not kind of a bit of an aging roster that I felt like with the Luck teams you had kind of peaked. You were getting into the 8-8 eight and eight in 2015, getting into the 8-8 eight and eight in 2016, and you kind of reached your ceiling level um, in, 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 in that regime. Uh, and and I, I will say this as well. I don't think Grigson has done any favors with, and he hired the man, so I guess it's him to blame. But I, you know, I don't think Chuck Pagano was giving you much of an advantage week in a week out. I think Frank Wright gives you more an advantage, which, you know, would then mean well, shouldn't the Colts be winning at a higher rate without Andrew Luck? So, um, I guess that that's that's where I sit. You know, I I, I disagree, you know, big time with, again, where this roster is at and how it looks moving forward. But at the end of the day, this is a bottom line business. Mm -hmm. And I think on this podcast, I don't consider myself sliding into, you know, where maybe Dan refers to the rest of the local media or whatever he says with that. Uh, I think we've been very honest in asking the questions because how do you not ask the questions? And unless you're going – you know, thirteen and three, and winning Super Bowl after Super Bowl, you ask questions. You're trying. Jim Mercer wants multiple Super Bowls. You know, he doesn't want a team that's going five hundred. So if a team's going five hundred, right, and the franchise quarterback isn't there, you know, we we are going to. Add, and I think people are afraid to raise questions. I do. I think people are hesitant, and you know, everyone is. We've fallen into this trap. I think with Chris Ballard, especially of savior, savior, savior. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. We can ask questions. Like it's not, it's not crystal clear, perfect. And Ballard's admitted that. And I don't know. I think we we, we get these rose colored glasses a bit. And I'm like, no, let's ask and express concerns. See where things are at. How do they compare to other people around the league? And see where this franchise is at moving forward. So this is a massive season, massive season. And uh, yeah, boy, Dan Dan was ranting. I mean, that's your job. Your job is to ask the questions, and they know that, or they should know that, just like they have a job to do, too. They should understand that if they fail at their job, you're going to ask them why. For sure, and, and I would say mostly Dan is probably referencing, you know, local media not asking questions enough of questioning where this franchise is. I mean, the piece I wrote this morning on, on the past defense, I I don't know how much more I can hold Matt Eberflus's feet to the fire there. It's mm-hmm. It's... It's an absolute joke, you know. The first sentence is another week, another NFL record set against the Colts. Yeah, like that's where we're at right now with this pass defense. So, um, you know, I I feel like we do a very good job with it on this podcast. I will stand by what I've said before. I think Chris Bowden and Frank Reich can get this done. Um, and and I don't know, maybe I'm going out of limb here. I I think they will get this done, but the results have got to start turning. Jim Irsay's got a leash, but Jim Irsay also is, you know what, he was a pissed off human being, I guarantee you, about that week one result, as he should have been. Mm -hmm. So some results have got to start occurring before the crazy question we got two weeks ago. Why isn't Ballard getting a contract extension? (laughs) What, we we just hand those out like I give my nephew a, you know, a sucker when he comes over? Like, you know, come on now, come on now. Kevin, can you explain to Jonathan why, since we know what we have had in McLaughlin, we didn't go get him and instead got Matt Gay, who was cut from Tampa Bay? Yeah, okay. So for those that don't know, um, 
Yeah, the Colts obviously cut Chase McLaughlin, didn't sign him back to their practice squad. He's now with Minnesota, ironically enough. He's protected as well in their practice squad. Matt Gay uh, kicked for the Bucks last year, fifth-round pick. Didn't kick very well, um, I don't know, 78%, something like that. Missed a bunch of extra points. He lost the job to Ryan Suckup this year. So, a um, couple questions. Did McLaughlin want to come back? I mean, you know. It's a two-way street here again. They've got to want to come back. And Chase McLaughlin, he's probably got a little bit of a class. I mean, he's got a resume. Mm -hmm. He can probably pick and choose some spots. And then secondly, you know, which this might sound foolish, did the Colts want him to put pressure on Rodrigo Blankenship? You know, of like, oh, yeah, there's that other dude. (laughs) And he's just one promotion away from taking your spot again. Now, part of me says this. Who gives a shit? I mean, (laughs) right. Rodrigo Blankenship kicked at Georgia. You don't think Kirby Smart was trying to recruit over Rodrigo Blankenship? Like, that's life. Come mm-hmm. on, it's the NFL. Pressure's pressure. And I thought Frank Reich actually said that pretty candidly about them signing Matt Gay of, like, you just missed a 30-yard field goal. <laughs> we need to cover our ass, and, and rightfully so. The Colts are doing the smart thing here um, in bringing Matt Gay in, just having to, you know, COVID, non-COVID, I don't care. Mm-hmm. You need to have someone else in your building. I don't care if it puts pressure. It allows that you have Matt Gay and another team's not going to get if Matt Gay's the right you know, guy for the job at some point, whatnot. Uh, Blankenship deserves a leash, like definitely. Um, he's not a 47-year-old injured kicker like Adam Vinatieri was last season. And I thought Blankenship's other kicks looked really good. Ball just coming off his foot on Sunday. But again, um, yeah. The Colts can't make the same same mistake twice. No, and they, and they made it last year. And I, man, I need all the kicker safety that I can get. I, I can't believe this, Chris. I, you know, someone. I think uh, I think it's Jay who who is a good follow on Twitter and and just tweeted in questions before. He was giving me pushback on Twitter yesterday about I don't know why you're worrying about the kicker. <laughs> is it at the top of the list of my worries right now? No. Is it on the list of worries? Yes. So I'm going to give attention to it if I can. Like, if I have eight issues, why not try and keep an eye on all eight of them? Do some mean a little bit more than others right now? Certainly. But I'm going to make sure that I monitor that because this is an undrafted rookie kicker. And I just let a kicker out the door and Chase McLaughlin, who didn't miss one time last season inside of 40 yards. One time. Extra point field goal. Yeah. Um Boy, I feel like I'm ranting on some of these questions, but they deserve some long answers. So I hope that covers things, Jonathan. I'm going to add real quickly onto this because I know we got to get through these. I'm going to put an optimism optimism hat on too, and hope that by bringing in another kicker, just like baseball's bullpen, those guys kind of talk about pitches and how they hold the grip and stuff like that. Maybe another kicker, the camaraderie of just having a veteran behind you to talk about how you strike a ball, where you should probably kick from this hash, whatever. Could happen. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, it certainly is another person in that room. Um, now, I think for Ch- Rodrigo, he probably looks at it as this is some competition. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, this is smart. This is smart. What the Colts said yesterday was smart. I would have kept Chase McLaughlin because, again, I look at kicker as, and this is different from how I look at other positions. Other positions, I'm trying to find the highest ceiling. At kicker, I'm just trying like, oh, boy. Just get me to next week. <laughs> Please get me to next week. If you make it from 52, great. But we're going to go four on fourth down so often. That's not my first line of thinking. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I'm out. 
Zach's question goes back to Ballard. He says he knows around the league that he has a sentiment that he's a great evaluator and a very good GM, but at some point you're judged by your resume, and that's and and resume though, that is fair, no. And he realizes it's an overreaction time, but at the end of the day, we got to look at the numbers and what has he done, not have a winning record in his time here. You know, Chris, is there anything better than Week One NFL Twitter? I mean, it's awesome. It's with every team, win or lose. Oh, and every that's team. That's what's great. Oh, dude, Overreaction, fandom. the first couple weeks, it's... It's fandom. I, I I love it. I mean, I'm I'm psycho. I'm psycho about Tiger. I'm psycho about Notre Dame. I mean, the stuff I think about Notre Dame basketball on a daily basis, you know, <laughs> they should put me in jail for it. Um, yeah, Zach, I mean, I think I hit on this a lot. We are evaluating, and we will critically ask the questions. That's what my job is, and it's very fair as a franchise. You have made the play, you've made the playoffs once in the last five years. Haven't won a division since 2014. Mm-hmm. Lost seven straight season openers. I can continue to go. Is there a lot to like about where things sit right now? Yes. But from a tangible result standpoint, you haven't got done. You know, it's the whole trust the process. How long can we trust? You know, it's it's one of those things where patience is necessary in some capacity, but sooner or later, hello, W's, January football. Let's go. Beginning of the podcast, we talked about the running back group. Matt wanted to know, is Jordan Wilkins still with the team after the Marlon Mack injury? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's your insurance policy, you know, that fourth running back now. I mean, he's kind of your pseudo backup first or second down right now, you know, if you want to keep Hines in that role. So, oh, yeah, this is why you kept Jordan Wilkins. Kay Dizzle wants to know, are you sure Big Q is 100% healthy with his back? That fourth and one play didn't look good. Kay Dizzle. Don't think anyone's ever called me that in my day. Um, Yeah, I didn't think he looked his best. On, on Sunday. I, I don't know if it's bad. He was practicing today. Um, and, again, his best is, like, you grade him, you know, yeah. with, with a, the heaviest curve you could imagine. Uh, he sets the curve, honestly, I should say. Um, the, you know, the back was weird, Chris, because he doesn't usually sit out Thursdays, and he wasn't on the injury report on Wednesday. So it was kind of one of those things where, like, oh, did that flare up? Did he wake up Thursday and say, you know, this back isn't feeling good. I'm going to sit out today and, you know, I'll give it a go Friday and then play on Sunday. So, um, I don't know, you know, I know Fletcher Cox and Geno Atkins, you know, aren't the same guys maybe they were a few years ago, but those guys are coming up on the schedule. So you're going to get tested a little bit more than you were against Jacksonville. And certainly Minnesota's D-line doesn't, you know, they don't scare me really at all. Brian wants to know, will the Buckner, will Buckner be Ballard's version of the Trent Richardson trade? He knows that it's oh, early, God. but fans were sold no ramp-up time that a rookie would have had. Oh, gosh. Come on. I mean, we're going there. Week one, we're going to call it Buckner, Trent Richardson. Holy shit. Man. Um, hey, let's remember Trent. He had a touchdown his first carry here. Yep. It was great. It was looking great. I mean, Colts are going to win the Super Bowl 27-7 over the 49ers. Man, um, come on. I, yeah, Brian, I, yeah, this is our week one. Welcome to week one, folks. Uh, my acknowledgement of this question will be this. July-ish, posted a story on it. The return has to be there on DeForest Buckner. I mean, you need return on this investment. The investment, it was huge. 13th overall pick and nearly $100 million. You need an all-pro. Mm-hmm. I watched Aaron Donald play. I watched Chris Jones play. You know, I watched Cameron Hayward play. I mean, those dudes, those dudes did some wrecking. Yes, they week did. Week one, DeForest Buckner's got to do some wrecking. And admittedly, he said he didn't, you know, didn't take advantage 
of the one-on-ones. You know, his best series, I I don't know if I mentioned this on Monday, his best series was the first series of the third quarter. Tackle for loss, first play, I think, of the third quarter. And really, the Justin Houston sack was Buckner pushing that Mm -hmm. left guard, can, or I forget who the other guard is, uh, back into Minshew. Minshew's got to take a couple steps back. Boom, there's Houston off the edge. But still, six tackles, one for loss. That can't be the norm for him. And that's just, I mean, that's the message the Colts sent mm-hmm. with doing this trade. This question comes from Tanner. Do you remember when the top 100 came out and Hines was talking about Nelson? He said, sometimes I don't look for another hole uh, to pick up. I just run behind 56. Tanner found it very ironic that if he would have been patient with his run, he would have seen an easy walk-in touchdown on the right side. Wow, this is uh, interesting. I I did not know Tanner. I don't I don't remember that, but I feel like I have heard Hines say something to that effect. I don't remember that specifically. Top hundred, you know, you guys have heard me talk about. It. I don't really watch that show, but um, this is in reference to the fourth and one. Yes, I tweeted out a video of it, um, on Sunday or maybe it was on Monday. There does look like there's a hole to the right. I think it's kind of a skewed, one of those slow motion, how open is that hole really? But still, it certainly looks like he'd get a yard. And if you're Hines, we'd be ripping him like none other had he stuttered in the backfield Oh yeah, and looked for that. It's fourth and freaking one. Just no. run behind Nelson and go get a yard. You know, I kind of agree with Hines. I'm like, wait, I have the number six pick and the 18th overall pick. Let me just put my head down and run behind them. And, okay, here's three feet and the chains are moving. So I, I don't really rip. Hines too much for that. I know a lot of people, when I tweet out that video, I said Nelson and Kelly should have been better on that play. I stand by it. They should have been better. We're talking one yard, folks. And both of them, their guy, guys, you know, got whatever, got some sort of shot on Hines mm-hmm. to where he couldn't get a yard there. Could Hines have been a little bit better with his vision? Maybe. But, you know, on fourth and one, man, I put fourth and one more on the O-line. I put it on the O-line first, and then I put it on the running back second. You know, it's kind of – what was I watching the other night? Um, it was the Steelers game. They had a wide out catch a ball and just get stoned at the two or three, and then just an incredible second effort. James Washington. Yeah, Washington, was. yeah. Just an unbelievable second effort, third effort yes. to get in the end zone. Like, <laughs> that's a play where I'm like, the quarterback throws you to a yard line. And you, you've got to go do the rest. And if you don't do the rest, fine. Go down and live to see another down. That dude just straight up. Yeah, <laughs> jumped over the corner, met the safety, and pushed the safety back. It was crazy, yeah. I mean, it was wild. I'm glad that, that you remember that play because it was just oh, – I sat there I was like, oh, my gosh. That's how I look at fourth and one. Like, your old line's got to do the heavy lifting, and then the running back can hopefully break a tackle if it comes to that. But mm-hmm. if a running back's got to break a tackle on fourth and one – you aren't doing enough in the trenches. All right, three more here. This one comes from Jesse. How does Wilkins stay so slow so slow on the depth chart? I think he meant to say low. Uh, I feel like every time he touches the ball, he runs for 10 yards. I'm sure the data says otherwise, but he is explosive, yet stays on the sideline. It's just hard to involve a fourth running back, Jesse, especially when Wilkins doesn't have like a niche. You know, Hines has got the niche, that specific receiving trait. Um, he did, I think there have been some ball security questions with him at times, and he was really banged up last year in camp. And, you know, when you watch the Colts run game early on, it's kind of like, where do you fit him in last season? So, uh, yeah, it's just, 
I, I don't rip the Colts. I mean, the run game's been just fine. I don't I don't rip them for that. This is from Stephen Kev. He's disgusted. How mm. can Rivers play so mm. well, be really good at times, but just look like he's never played quarterback in crucial moments? You know, Stephen, fourth quarters um, have kind of been the thing with Rivers, especially last season. You know, we talked about it where Brissett didn't wasn't risky enough in the fourth quarter. Rivers was too risky. You know, it, like that's how it boils down. His passer rating was terrible. Chargers were way behind. You know, so many picks. I think half his picks came in the fourth quarter last year. You know, I, I think where we're at with Rivers right now, Chris, is, you know, you just worry about that arm strength a little bit. Mm-hmm. Outside the numbers, it just seems like it takes a little bit longer for that ball to get there, you know? And when you wait in the NFL, oh, boy. So... What do you do? You avoid those situations. I mean, that's what you – this team has got to stay ahead of the chains, stay ahead on the scoreboard, because you don't need Phillip Rivers throwing 10 passes outside the numbers and 15 yards down the field the whole game. Sprinkle it in. At times, it can work. Play action, stuff like that. But when you're tipping your hand and it's obvious and you're saying it's a pass, expect to see some of the Rivers we saw on Sunday. Yep. All right, final Twitter question comes from Scotty. This isn't my. This isn't the first time I've seen the Colts not ready to play. I think of many times last year in the Kansas City playoff game the year before. I'm not asking for Coach Reich's head, but being ready to play falls on him. I'm starting to get worried about the coach. Thanks for your podcast. What are your thoughts? Yeah, Scotty. You know, it, it's um, it's a fair statement. I expected better out of this football team on Sunday. You know, I know a big key for them this year is not playing in momentum. Something we've talked about. You know, losing streaks have happened under Frank Reich, but I do feel like his team has always bounced back from either opening losses or just bad losses, like shut out 6-0 to the Jags or, you know, I guess last season, now that I think about it, there were more bad losses. But the Saints, you lost the Saints and you came back and you did kill the Panthers. I know the Panthers aren't, um, you know, the Panthers were fired a coach now. Will Greer starting that point, but still thirty-eight to six, thirty-eight to six. I think was the score. So, um, you know, it, it, it's it's a bit of a concern, certainly. But I I do feel like for the most part, the Colts avoid underwrite these sorts of situations. I do. Um, so yeah. All right, Kevin. That was Twitter questions. Now I got, let's... I got I got two more. Okay, go ahead. Let me slide in here. I want to mention Zach. Uh, Zach said, sorry I had to hand you that first fantasy loss. Zach kicked my ass in fantasy, man. (laughs) He kicked my ass, dude. Um, Boy, I got ran over. I I got way too many rookies on the team. Uh, He says, uh, when I listen to Frank Reich's media, and Zach said that on Monday, basically he's asking, why don't we ask Frank more defensive questions? About the, about the defense? Yeah. In Zooms, he did say that we did a better job of that on Monday. Um, this is before the, the press conference on Monday. He asked this. Uh, you know, Zoom life is not ideal. I will start there. It's kind of like everyone gets a question in, and that's it. Um, of course, no one wants to hear me whine. We all deal with issues Zoom-wise here in uh, 2020. I just don't think Frank is as candid with talking about the defense as he is with the offense. You know, it's just – he just – I don't think he feels as comfortable, which kind of goes back to my earlier point. Mm-hmm. You're the head coach. Yep. Um, I did find it interesting. Eberflus mentioned on Tuesday 
Some of the issues of Coltac communication-wise in the game is because they're starting to do different things on third down this season. I like it. Obviously, it didn't work out on Sunday. Different things defensively, that makes me happy. Yeah. That, Something's <laughs> got to be different. You know, exactly. That that makes me happy. So I do like that. And then lastly, from Nathan, he says he's watching NFL Game Pass. Unfortunately, all 22 is taking a while to come out this week. He wants uh, my thoughts on the 49ers and Bills defenses, how they differ from the Colts. Um, well, first off, the Bills and 49ers have great talent. I would say the Bills do a really good job disguising things and just have aggressive corners. Uh, I mean, Tredavious White is certainly one of the best corners in the NFL. Uh, and I, I think their secondary is they're, they're more versatile back there with how they play their coverages, stuff like that. 49ers, you know, it's kind of like the old Seahawks defense. A lot of cover three for yep. them. And, I mean, their personnel speaks for itself, you know, up front, certainly. And, and when they had Buckner. Um, I mean, basically, my, my thing with the Colts is this. I get your core belief. I just want to see more of an adapting week to week. How many tricks are in your bag? Have have some. Yeah. Have some. Because you never went. Think about this. In a three week stretch this year, the Colts play Derrick Henry, Lamar Jackson, and Aaron Rodgers in some order. The same defensive game plan is not going to work for those three teams. Not like, at all. That's, welcome to 2020 in the NFL. Teams have great diversity, it's a pass happy league. Uh, this defense just doesn't make things stressful enough for opposing quarterbacks, and, and and that is my big big thing. So get quarterbacks out of their comfort zone, and uh, yeah, if you missed it, I wrote an article on uh, 1075thefan.com about that. Well, hopefully we can get back to some winning ways. You know, first home game of the season, excitement going to be downtown. Hopefully, even though not that many fans. Twenty five hundred in the building. Can't wait. Hey. <laughs> Something. It's better than nothing. It is better than nothing. I've heard a lot of a lot of interviews from players around the league at some of those stadiums where they had no one, and they were like, "I've never heard my team clapping on the sideline before." Like, you're used to hearing fans either boo or cheer, regardless. Right. Some noise. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, Kev, your three keys for this weekend's football game. Yeah. First, better better situationally. You know, 440 yards and you score 20 points. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah. That can't happen. Uh, and when I say better situationally, I mean making field goals along with just better in the red zone. Uh, you know, Frank Reich said it great. I thought earlier this week, you have 450-some yards, you should have 35 points. So better situationally. And, and I trust Reich. This is where, you know, it's funny. Frank doesn't do this often, but he's done this a couple times this week. And I don't know if he's meant to do this. He's indirectly been a little cocky. And he said it to the point of, we weren't good in the red zone, and I'm paraphrasing here, but, like, that usually doesn't happen with me. And he's yeah, right. Yeah, he like, they're right. damn good in the red zone. That's arguably the thing I love the most about Reich and watching him as an offensive mastermind play caller. So I just trust him. I, I trust him. I trust Rivers to figure it out. Uh, point two, attack a very unproven D-line and corner group. Now, hard to do both at the same time. So I want to attack the, the D-line group first, pound the run, and then attack those young corners. Um Boy, Aaron Rodgers made some throws on Sunday that uh, you know, old boy Phil just doesn't have. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm not going to act like you can just pick them apart like Green Bay did. But um, no Daniil Hunter, big loss. I mean, that's one of their worst defensive performances in, in yeah. Mike Zimmer history. So no Daniil Hunter is a big loss. Then you look at the Jets in a couple of weeks. They, they're down three starters. So uh, Colts are getting a decent break here injury-wise. 
But yeah, I, I think you just got to be committed to the ground attack early on, and then eventually the play action, those things, you know, help out the corners. And then lastly, control Dalvin Cook. You know, that's kind of obvious, but uh, you know, he didn't have a huge week one. The other kid, Madison, actually had a had a nice game. Yes, he did. But still, I look at the first half against Jacksonville, Chris, and just Robinson, He, I think he was over six a carry in the first half. That can't happen. You know, I, I want to force Cousins and, and force, you know, a, a bit of an unproven wideout group outside of Thielen to beat me. So, um, yeah, those are the three keys for me on Sunday. And what's your prediction? Um, can I put you on the spot first? What are you going with? <sighs> what's Predi- the line? You know, I don't know the line because I – Made that hundred dollar bet and got yeah, screwed out of it, and dude. I was like, you know what? <laughs> FanDuel had a great little um, parlay that I was able to hit: Bills to cover, Packers to cover against the Vikings, and uh, the Ravens. So I was able to hit that. Now I've got a lot invested in the U.S. Open. Uh, I get terrible service in the studio. Yeah, so I can't find I'll, it. I'll look it up while I'm talking. But basically, I th- I would hope we bounce back, get a victory. I know that's cliche to say. I know it sounds like the typical talking head, but let's go with uh, 31 to 24. 31-24. Okay, I'm seeing Colts favored by three. So you're going, you might want to double down then. Put another 100 on the old Colts to cover if you're that confident. (laughs) (laughs) Where does that That, mean? That scares me then. Because I was, you know, even with like the Pittsburgh game, I'm like, five and a half? Why are they getting five and a half? And of course... It was close to that most of the game before they pulled away. Um, but that's Vegas for you. They know what they're doing. Um, all right, I got Colts. I got them 27-24. Okay. Push. I think Buckner makes a big play late. Cousins driving. Buckner makes a big play. This team bounces back under Reich, you know. I know they've started 0-2, you know, previous regime, 2014, 15, and 16. And hell, I think 17 too, now that I think about it. Um, you know who I've been thinking about a lot this week, Chris, is remember the dude that asked us the odds of the Colts starting 7-0? and mm-hmm. Didn't he say, like, I don't know, he said something absurd, like 70%. I don't know. He's like, I, I look at the schedule. And I'm like, dude, this is the NFL. Thank goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you didn't do that. But what I've said about the first seven is 5-2 and two is kind of the barometer. Like, that's 5-2. and two, and you're and you're good. You lose Sunday. Now you got to go five and zero. So don't put pressure on yourself. You know, avoid that. Avoid that at all costs. I'm hoping that Paris Campbell has a heck of a ball game, dude. He played well. I thought he was the best individual player for the Colts on on maybe him or Autry. You know, out snap Hilton. Um, some big plays. Obviously, the 15 yard flex shouldn't happen. Can't be doing that. But still, I liked what I saw. Yeah, out of Campbell. All right, man, uh, 1 o'clock Sunday, Chris Presley, Kevin Bowen. We're signing off. Everybody have a great weekend. Um, yeah, we got the Irish in South Florida on Saturday, SEC, Big Ten. I love it, SEC next week, uh, Monday, Monday, late Monday morning. Expect the uh, next podcast. Any questions, you know where to find me, 1075thefan.com. See you.